And like by just consistently, you know, working at it, the results will come, but you can't let up on the habits that are gonna create the results. Hey, it's JP. Hi, it's Excel. And you're listening to Terry Shower on the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I have with me today an investor that I've been working with for a while, Chantel from, uh, she lives in Calgary, but owns property in Montreal. And um, so we're just going to do a live coaching call today with a couple of Chantel's questions. But just to, by way of people getting to know you, why don't you just tell us, Chantel, you know, what do you do? How did you start investing? And what are your plans? Oh, <laughs> Uh, hello, everyone. Um, how did I start investing? To be honest, I just fell into it. It was like my parents' property that I actually um, purchased because they were getting a little bit older. And so I just decided to step in. And so I just pretty much learned as I as I go, taking on this huge uh, interest um, to say like I didn't know what I was doing or anything like that. And it's just learning as I go, pretty much. And so do you have a plan of like where you'd like to go? I mean, I, I'm i familiar with the project that you've done in Montreal with uh, the triplex that you purchased from um, from uh, your mom. Um, but what, um, you know, do you have any projects to buy anything else? If you had a magic wand, where would you want to be with your investments in five years? Ooh. Well, to be honest, I would love to I guess Montreal is my home, so I would love to purchase another property in Montreal, but I would cater to more to like seniors, to be honest. I would just rent to seniors because I find they're the ones who are like, um, especially how things are going in terms of like inflation and um, cost of living has gone up. Um, they're the ones who are being left behind. So if I had a unit to rent, I would just rent to seniors, to be honest. <laughs> That's my dream. Okay. And maybe, Chantal, you want to just tell us what you um, do for work, because I think it's relevant to the conversation. Ooh. So I won't say the name of the organization, but basically I I work with like low income families to try to find them like housing. And I also work with people who have like a lot of like mental health and addictions as well. And that's in Calgary. Yes. Okay. All right. So that's a good place to start the conversation from. And so like you sent me a couple of questions that you wanted us to go over um, in today's session. So let me just start off with the first one. So the first one is, what advice do you have for a small time landlord who wants to evict a tenant? So <laughs> lots of advice, but, you know, why don't you give me a little bit more information about what you want me to speak to? Because as you know, in Montreal, it's really, you can't just evict a tenant, right? Like, because we have the the laws of the towel, there's very specific situations under which you can evict somebody. So can you give me a bit more context for your question in terms of like, what kind of an eviction are we talking about? Like, for example, if somebody, one where somebody doesn't pay their rent, for example, and it's gone on for like two months or so, or if somebody comes in and they pretty much ruin your property, like they trash your unit, and let's just say police are involved, like, can you evict someone underneath those circumstances? Okay. So let's, those are two separate cases and I will, I'll address them separately. So basically the only way that a landlord in Quebec can sort of lawfully or easily evict someone is if they don't pay. 
And so the magical number here is the 21st of the month. So if somebody is paying on the 15th, it's considered a late payment. But if they pay on the 22nd, it's considered a non-payment. And when a tenant falls into default, basically you can open a file at the TAL, which is the old regie, um, for expulsion for non-payment. And usually those kind of evictions are the easiest to carry out if a tenant has not paid for about six weeks. You get your court date almost immediately. And if they don't pay at that time, like you're going to get your eviction very quickly. And in practice, I've only ever had to carry out in my career one actual eviction. Um, all the other tenants who were in that situation left once they had the judgment. And then sort of a detail with that is if someone has been paying late consistently. So, for example, you know, sometimes I have tenants who like for six months pay the 15th, the 17th, the 20th. And then once they go over the 21st. You can then open a non-payment file with uh, frequent lateness and the frequent lateness, then you won't get the expulsion right away, but the judge will condemn the tenant to always pay on the first. And then if they don't pay on the first even once, then you can evict them because they didn't follow the judgment. So that's kind of a little trick if you have someone who's like consistently paying late, like very often with those people, I'll go for the first time for non-payment um, the first time they missed the, the date of the 21st. Like I'll go and I know I won't evict them, but I'm my goal is to get that judgment that they have to pay on the first. And in that case, one of two things happens. Either the behavior takes care of itself and they stop paying late because they have received the judgment that they have to pay on the first or else they miss that. And then you're able to, to evict if that's what you want to do. So like non-payment is really kind of the easiest thing. Now, with damages, <laughs> with anything else, um, good luck. I can, you know, I can give you an example. This my most recent eviction, which was the person we actually had to evict who had mental health issues, we evicted her for non-payment. But for six months, she had been slowly dismantling the unit because I think she thought there were bugs in the walls or something. Um, and so she like took apart the bathroom wall. She was like showering like in a gaping hole that actually like went into the structure of the building. She started dismantling part of the kitchen. Um, she was actually, you know, doing her business in bags. Um, but she was then saving up in the bathroom and, uh, you know, like this went on for six months. We had documented the city came in to do like, uh, you know, whatever, um, uh, a, a unsanitary dwelling reports, the towel, like we didn't even have a court case for the, for that file by the time she was evicted for non-payment. So I got lucky, but like in terms of a tenant breaking stuff, like your best bet is going to be once they leave, you can go after them for damages. And like, if you have proof and they have money you will win but to evict someone for that is very difficult hmm. <laughs> in other words not much recourse for for landlords not while the lease is enforced because like basically once the person's renting from you it's their dwelling and even though you might be the owner of the building the fact that they're sort of vandalizing the place or doing something like unless they're doing something to cause damage to the building, like for example, I don't know, they like let the water run and then flood the whole building and then you have to pay for damage to other units. In that case, you might have some kind of recourse once the lease is enforced. But if they're just damaging the inside of their unit, you kind of have to wait for them to leave to go after them for that damage. Because while they're in there, if they make holes in the walls, it's kind of their business. Um, so that's the, the unfortunate truth. <laughs> or at least the law here sees it that way. So your next question, I think, is a really good one, which is what advice do you have for someone who wants to invest in Montreal with limited French? Um, so are is the person investing from 
uh, out of out of the province, or is it like a local person who just has limited French? Both, because I'll be honest, like I've I've had people ask me questions, like they're interested in Montreal. Montreal's a great city; they would like to invest, but they're afraid to because of the limited French that they have. So, mm-hmm. but they but they're definitely interested in investing in Montreal. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look, the truth is that in terms of investors on the ground here, there's lots of people who live here and invest here that don't speak very good French. Um, I have clients who don't speak very good French. And, um, you know, they hire me partly because the tenants all speak French. But, you know, the truth of the matter of Montreal is that, like, most people are able to function in English. So if it's a question of, like, communicating with someone because there's a water leak, like if you speak to them in English, they will might they might like respond to you in French, but like you will be able you know you'll be able to communicate with them. Uh, I think is is the you know in the the day to day stuff. Now, as far as official communications go, the Quebec government just has this law now that all of the official government communications so far from now on will only be in French. So you then are stuck doing you know your contract renewals and your leases and like those kind of communications do actually need to be officially in French. Now there are English versions of those documents, but um, you know if a tenant insists on it being in French, I I, I haven't had pro- like I haven't had a case where that's happened because we just communicate in French with people at, at my company. But uh, I feel like if a tenant insists, you could have a problem there. But then you would need to have like you know a friend or a paralegal or someone who can or property manager who can do your communications for you in French, or else there are parts of the city where it's unlikely that you're going to have unilingual francophone tenants. Like, for example, you know, your place is in LaSalle. Um, if you invest in the West End, like the West part of the city, so Lachine, LaSalle, um, you know, the more Anglophone boroughs, the chances that you have, like, only, like, most of your tenants probably will speak English. Um, so that would be, that would be my advice. As far as for someone who is investing from out of province, um, you know, I think the French is one kind of barrier, but I think the other major barrier legal environment here. And, you know, the, the fact of the matter is that like the laws in Quebec are like quite special. And if you are not familiar with the ecosystem here in terms of how our renting works, how our rental board works, I feel like that's a bigger problem then the linguistic problem is just like not knowing much about how the local system works. And then you need partners. Like my advice is, you know, if you if you're talking to people in Calgary who are like, OK, I, you know, I have some money. I've heard that there's good returns to make in Montreal. Like, how should I go about doing that? Well, you need partners on the ground here. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the very least, a very good property manager, but um, probably better to have to, to form partnerships. And where would they find their partnerships? Like they just go online or... Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. Well, this is where networking comes in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, like that's partly the purpose of the the organization that like helps partner for the for this podcast, right? The Real Estate Investors Club. Um, like that's part of our mandate, right? Is like we're a networking organization that holds monthly events. 
Um, we are not uh, super active, you know, with a lot of virtual meetings. But for somebody who wants to, you know, build a network here, if you came to a couple of events a year in Montreal, you could easily make some contacts, meet people um, or go on Facebook groups or like, you know, you can reach out individually to people like, you know, I've had people I do work with like a fair amount of I'd say 50 percent of my clients are out of province. And so I've met them, most of them physically. But like, you know, for example, when I started managing your property, our relationship happened completely virtually. And that was before COVID. So just the way that like, you know, you reach out to various people, um, you know, it's not that difficult to find, you know, people who are active and who have a presence and who do have partnerships with people, um, you know. So if you if you look on Instagram or you look through an organization like ours, you will find like all of the mentors in there are happy to sell coaching hours or to put you in touch with with various people who do form partnerships. So I, I don't think like it does take a little bit of legwork because you have to kind of network and then you have to find people that you want to work with. And uh, the fit has to be right in terms of who you want to partner with. Um, and so like, you know, you might want to kiss a few frogs before you make a decision of who you want to get into business with. <laughs> um, but that, you know, that process of like meeting people virtually, it's never been easier than it is now. Yeah. So now your next question, how do you make money as a real estate investor in a rent controlled market. So um, you're, you know, you're a small landlord. Um, you've had, you know, we've had, we've had struggles adjusting your units to, to market rent. Um, you know, that's like kind of a personal struggle, but it is a, an issue that people who invest in our market face. Um, and, you know, the answer is that there's no silver bullet. You know, uh, there are various strategies of, you know, offering to buy tenants out. Then there's doing your yearly increase to the maximum of your capacity to do it. But, you know, rent control is rent control. And uh, part of operating in a market where there is such heavy rent control, I mean, you can do cash for keys. That's what some people do. You can look to, you know, create additional units. You can... Um, renovate and get like trans a transformation permit from the city if they're willing to give it to you in the borough that you are so for example if you have like a very big um you know eight and a half unit but you might be able to split that into a three and a half and a and a five and a half or something like you might be able to break down the unit uh into into smaller increments and then rent independently and so repossess the dwelling in order to transform it but there's really no silver bullet and and my advice is you know if you it's in, in how you pick the assets in the first place, because if your your goal is, okay, I want to pick a pick up a building where I'm going to be able to, you know, change the rents in a drastic way. Well, when you're going through the shopping process, you need to make sure that either you're closing on something that has vacant units or else, um, you know, the tenants are of a profile that are likely to leave in the next couple of years. So you're able to adjust it. If you have, you know, uh, let's say an older woman who just turned 70 um you can no longer repossess a dwelling you know when you have a senior citizen in it so you're gonna she's gonna be there till she's you know 85 so so <laughs> unless she wants to move like well and if it's rent controlled why would she move because she's getting such a great deal if they did move um they would have to pay way more money for a unit of comparable quality and so like really that's just kind of one of the things you you have to build your financial predictions mm -hmm. to be able to cope with that or else you have to you know buy properties that um you're able to to, to play with the rents did you have any any other like follow-up with that or does that answer your question 
No, that pretty much um, answers my question. Yeah. Okay. So how do you attract buyers to invest in Montreal, but they're turned off by rent control? <laughs> um, so, I mean, I, I want to know what's behind this question because like, you know, I often speak to Americans or to people who are active outside of Montreal and they're like, okay, you know, what kind of, how, how interesting are your returns? What are your property prices like? And the answer is, I mean, there's money to be made here. Like there are people here who are active and in a sense, because people are afraid and there are these barriers to entry into Quebec, there's the language, there's the legal system, there's the rent control. Like people see those three things and they get so turned off. They're like, why would I go into that market if like it sounds like a lot of headache? Why would I get in there? Mm -hmm. And when you see a situation like that, that a lot of people don't want to get themselves involved in, it means that there's just less competition for the opportunities that exist. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that like we in Quebec are starting to see more that people from outside of the province or outside of the country are coming into our market because take you know bigger places like toronto or vancouver um or probably to a lesser degree alberta like those are markets where there's a lot of people who have already kind of bid things up and and adjusted the rents to market and if that's the case like there's kind of no value to be generated in those markets because the everything's already maxed whereas like in montreal if you have good strategies good partners um you know a smart way of operating the amount of money that you can make in this market is I think superior to to other places just because of how you can operate the system here if you know how to do it. How can I say that would be my pitch if I'm trying to attract someone here, but at the same time, like, do I really want to attract someone here? Like, maybe if I want to partner with them, but otherwise, like, if you have a, a, a well-kept secret, like, do you want to be broadcasting the well-kept secret around when, you know, it's it's someone, like, for someone like me, it's it's my livelihood and a lot of the other operators who do this, like, we're, you know, happy to be in a place where there's not as much competition as as other markets mm, i see because the reason why i ask that question is because i have one or two friends who are are you know they own properties here and they want to kind of like expand and they're thinking well they're like number one toronto's too expensive so they're like oh, forget Toronto, but they're like montreal um because one of my friends been to montreal they they like the city and everything like that and so they're definitely thinking about investing in Montreal but again the turnoff is the the rent control and and the French of course the limited French but they're definitely interested so that's why I asked that question what advice would you mm -hmm. give well yeah I mean I, I think like like the truth is if you're from out of province and you have no real you know experience with the ecosystem here at the very least you need an excellent property manager and it's probably better if you have a partner on the ground but that those, some of those arrangements can actually like can work pretty well. I mean, that's partly my business is I partner with people who um, have no interest in operating their building, operating buildings, but they want someone uh, who's going to have some skin in the game, who's going to take care of like making that those uh, units profitable as if they were their own units because they own some of the equity. So that uh, that that would be my advice to your friends who want to get involved here but uh, don't want to deal with the headaches because <laughs> <Yes. laughs> they ask me all the time like how do you do it and i'm like i don't know <laughs> like just do it <laughs> but i but i always refer to that site the rishi de Langemont, the, the the website and i kind of go and i actually read the rules and that's quite you know helpful you know so always do the research as well too yeah and i mean there's so there are so the reality is today there are so many resources 
um, you know, be it Google or Facebook groups or investor networks, like the 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 power of the virtual world in the last, let's say, 15 years, like somebody who was asking me this question 15 years ago, it would be more difficult back then than it is now because it's, you know, if you want to self-educate, um, it's, 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 it's easy to do that. But, you know, and, and like the Quebec aside, I think there's something to be said also about investing outside of your home market, because that's like kind of a, you know, underneath the question you're asking is nested that question, because if you're investing outside of your home market, are you familiar with the legal environment? So like if you were, you know, you're in Calgary, but you want to invest in like Red Deer or something, well, like, okay, that's the same Alberta environment. And so you're going to be um, familiar with whatever the rules are. If you have to go to court, presumably it's going to be in an environment you understand. But like, let's say I was investing in the States. I wouldn't have the arrogance to think that I know how to operate properly in that market. And so I need either to be surrounded by a very solid power team who has that knowledge until I can acquire it myself or else I need partners. And I think that's true independent of like the English French thing. I think that's just the truth. When you invest outside of your home market, um, you need boots on the ground. You know, if you were to invest in Red Deer, you would need a local manager because you're not going to go up there every time you have a leaky faucet, but you might be able to get away with the legal environment. But if you're investing outside of, you know, the the, the zone that you're familiar with um, from a, like a legal and business standpoint, you need to have a, a very good trusted team of advisors, if not a partner, who's going to kind of help you walk you through that till you become familiar enough to be able to operate in that environment yourself confidently. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, Chantal. Um, so we're at the end of the questions that you had for me today. Do you have any any wild cards? Do you have any any things of the moment that you want to pick my brain about well because we have another five minutes left um how do you keep the momentum going how do you not get discouraged by like let's just say you know if things are not going your way like you know you can't get the rig that you want how do you keep the momentum um i mean i think that's like uh, that's a, a question that goes beyond the real estate field i think that's a question of like how do you keep your momentum going in life if you don't like the results you're getting <laughs> right um and like i mean i have a, you know i have a great answer for that um you know i uh, i have a theory about this which is it's the showing up theory and you know if you just keep doing the right things and showing up consistently eventually the results will come and a lot of the time that people, you know, get disheartened and give up on something, they're this close, you know. And I like I wrote an article a little while ago called, said that, that says um, life has no finish lines. And, you know, when you're running a race, you know, OK, I have 5K, I have like one more kilometer to go um, or like I'm, I'm in, a, in a match. I know like I had to have a six minutes to do or I have 10 minutes to do. All right. I have one minute left. Like I only have to hold on for another minute. But like. The reality is that life is not like that. You set your goals, you make a plan, and you know sometimes it could take you 10 years to hit a goal. Sometimes it could happen very quickly. And so like in terms of how you uh, goal set, um, I, I, I'm experimenting now with more kind of habit goals as opposed to outcome goals because ultimately the outcome is generated by the habits. So like I'll give you an example. If we put this into the real estate world, like let's say I want to, my goal is I want to, um, you know, acquire two more properties this year, but I only have a certain amount of money and uh, I want to pay a good price for those properties. Well, then the behavior that's going to lead to this, that happening successfully is I got to make offers. 
So like how many offers do I want to make? I want to make an offer a week. I want to make an offer every two weeks. And like, even if they're low ball offers, like let me do it consistently. And at some point someone's going to say yes. Like it's just a question of like repeating those behaviors diligently and not getting discouraged by the negative feedback because the world's going to give you negative feedback. But if you're like consistently doing the right thing, one of those doors you knock on is going to open. Um, and it's the same with partnerships, right? Like at a certain point, if you want to be able to invest more, but you don't have either the capital or the borrowing capacity to do that on your own, then it becomes a question of like making partnerships that make sense where you have something to offer the, like the other person. And so how do you do that? Well, you network. And so you're like, okay, uh, I want to buy another triplex this year and I have this much money. I need to like have, you know, let's say I have 30K, but I need 60K to do it. Okay. I need to find someone who's going to kick in 30K with me. What doors, what phone calls can I make? Who can I talk to that has 30K that might want to do this with me? Okay, let's make a list. Let's make one phone call like that every every two days, every three days, every week, whatever it is. And like by just consistently, you know, working at it, the results will come. But you can't let up on the habits that are going to create the results. That's key. Yeah. And so like, and don't get obsessed with the outcome. You know, like I think that's when people give up is like they, they get give up because they're like, oh man, I've been working so hard and it's taken me, you know, three months and I have nothing to show for it. Well, yeah, but like maybe you just need to chip away for another week. Maybe you need to chip away for another year before it happens. But like ultimately, you know, we don't live in a, in a Instagram reality is not a reality. Like we want to do stuff that's difficult. It takes hard work and it takes time. There's no way around that. So, Well, thank you for that. And so where can people find you or to like network or... Um, yeah, well, so like obviously Real Estate Investors Club, uh, we have actually an event this week. Um, well, it's not going to be this week anymore by the time this episode uh, airs, but we have monthly networking events, which you can find on uh, our website. Um, it's very easy to find me, Terry Shower, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, my website, terryshower.com. Um, and uh, Chantal, I want to thank you for taking this time to chat with our audience, chat with me, share some of the things that you're thinking about. Um, I always appreciate the contribution of people who are willing to step out there, take the plunge and uh, come here and chat with me for half an hour so that the other people who are listening can profit from that. So shout out to you, Chantal. Thank you, Terry. And have a good day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, remember to give us a rating, leave a comment, subscribe and share. You can find Terry at terryshower.com. Her book, Mindful Landlord, is available on Amazon. You can also follow her on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. JP is the president of the Real Estate Investors Club. You can learn more about the club's networking and educational activities on Facebook by searching for Real Estate Investors Club. Look to the show notes to find information on our guests and links to material mentioned in the episode.